Christ. And for the last several weeks, uh, we've been in a section where there's been a heavy amount of Christ teaching. Uh, many of you probably have a copy of the Bible that has red letters in it. And you will uh, take note that if you have a Bible like that, in the New Testament, uh, the words that Jesus actually spoke are written in red. And so if you go to Luke 15 and 16, you'll notice all around there, there's a lot of red on those pages because Jesus has been teaching during this particular section. And believe it or not, for those of you that have been here for a while, uh, we uh, have been on this journey now for two years. Coming up in September uh, will be a two years through the life of Christ. And believe it or not, we're turning the final stretch. Uh, pretty soon we'll be in the last week of Jesus' life, and it will take us quite a while to get through the last week because there's so much material in the Bible about the last uh, week of the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, but this has been a wonderful journey, and for those of you that are guests today, I just want to encourage you to uh, follow along, and we're studying the Bible here at River City Baptist Church, and, and uh, we, we just go kind of story by story and line up on line. And so um, welcome to our church and welcome to this study of the person of Jesus Christ. Before we get into that today, I want to say thank you to everybody who gave and participated yesterday in our back to school bash. We were able to give out 72 backpacks to children in our community to help them prepare for school next year. And many of their families were here. We had probably a couple hundred people in and out of the property yesterday and some guests here today from that event yesterday. We're so thankful uh, that you were able to join us today and be a part of this and thankful that we could serve our community that way. It's good to see a church trying to connect into and help people in the community. That's part of our mission. Remember, the Great Commission is not just overseas. The Great Commission begins in your backyard. And if you're not willing to go across the street to help somebody with the gospel, then you're probably not going to go across the sea to help somebody with the gospel. And so we want to reach our community, and we also want to engage people both here and around the world. So thank you. Uh, your giving goes directly to help that. You should have seen uh, so many smiling faces and a lot of exciting things that happen, and we're thankful for that. And praise the Lord for that. Also, uh, two other things. After the service today, there is a baby shower for uh, the Chan family. And that is in the children's room at the end of the South Wing. And so be sure to stop by and greet them and, uh, and give them your best uh, parenting advice. I can't wait for that. I'm, I'm really looking forward to sharing all my parenting wisdom with Aaron and Annie over the next uh, uh, several weeks. Uh, actually, just looking forward to setting back and just admiring the view of, of uh, children, little little children, little children, and all the blessing they bring in our lives. Amen? All the blessing. Children are a heritage of the Lord. You just have to remember that sometimes, okay? And so I'm looking forward to that. And then one final thing, please make a note of this. We'll send an email out about this as well. Two weeks from today, we have an important business meeting right at the end of the service. Uh, and I have to announce that two weeks in advance just so you're prepared for it. The purpose of the business meeting, it's very simple. We have to meet as a congregation and vote to accept the property over at Mayport. Remember, for those of you that are kind of new, God has basically given us a church facility over in Mayport, uh, over in uh, right by the beach and uh, in the military community. And in order for us to officially finalize the deal, we have to have a congregational meeting in which we will all vote to accept it. Amen? Because there's nothing to really talk about. What we're going to talk about is God gave us a church and we're going to plan a new church. Amen? That's what we're going to do. So we do have to do that. It's important. If you have any questions regarding the Mayport transaction, again, it's a church that's been given to us. There is no cost to us. We are going to turn around and we are going to start a new church. 
there hopefully at the beginning of the year. And in two weeks, I'll be announcing to you a little bit about the details of that as well as the vote that we have to take as a congregation in order to take, to, uh, take the business transaction uh, of it. And so hate to talk about that, but it's just part of, part of doing business, okay? And, uh, and we realize that, that, thank the Lord, a church that would have otherwise closed its doors is now going to reopen and people are going to be reached with the gospel, amen? And so I'm excited about that. And uh, pray for that, but that's two weeks from today, right at the conclusion of our morning service, okay? Now, I'm going to read this text, but before I do, I'm not making an apology for this at all. Please don't misunderstand what I'm getting ready to say. But if you're a guest and you're, this is your first time here, please understand that, that this is in flow. First of all, this is in flow of what's being taught. This is a, 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 a passage of scripture that we're in the middle of a study of the life of Christ, okay? Secondly, what I'm going to talk about today is in the Bible. It's not just in the Bible. It's all over the Bible. And it, it's a shocker to some. That's why I've labeled the sermon today. Listen very carefully before I read the text. I wish it weren't so. I wish what I was getting ready to read was not true. Not in the sense that I question God, not in the sense that I wonder what he's up to, but that this place, this reality that we're going to talk about today is something that I wish was not true for the sake of people who don't know Christ the Savior. And, and so please understand that anybody who would avoid teaching on this subject will be somebody that would be worthy to avoid yourself. But at the same time, it's a challenge sometimes because in this culture, you very rarely ever will hear a sermon about hell. So would you follow along with me as I read what Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse number 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torments in Hades, he lift up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, <clears throat> between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Amen. This is God's word. I wish it weren't so. Several years ago, I was 
involved in a weekend ministry while I was in college. And, and what we did on the weekends was we would travel down to a local public university, a very large public university, and we would go out into the college on the weekend and share the gospel. We would pass out gospel tracts and tell people, whoever would listen, about Christ. And it was uh, something I did for, I think, about a year or two. And obviously, on a college campus, you're going to get all kinds of mixed responses and so on and so forth. But I was never prepared for the response we got from the school newspaper. Once a month or so, the school would have their journalism students put together a newspaper, and they would put it out in and buy the newspaper stands there in the community. And so every once in a while, when that would come up, we would, uh, uh, I would stop and grab one just to kind of find out what was going on on campus. And, and this particular month, I grabbed that edition of the school newspaper, and the very front page, first thing that you see was, a, was an article written by the student editor, and, and the title of it was this, Forcing Religion is a Nuisance. And I was like, oh, that's, now that's interesting. That's something I want to read about. Well, it didn't take me long to read the article to find out that they were talking about us. Those people that came and were sharing the gospel on the campus. And it was a kind of a scathing rebuke of what we were doing. And, 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 and be that as it may, I don't always expect to have a warm reception from everybody. Certainly people uh, that, that don't know Christ. However, the most shocking and frightening thing in that entire article was the very last sentence of the article that I have not forgotten even 25 years later. She said, I quote, I don't want people telling me that I'm going to go to hell without Christ when I die. I've got more realistic things to think about than that. Now, to a Christian audience like this, that's the response you would expect. Who would ever say something like that? Who would ever think like that? But their facts are... There are people that don't think there is any reality or truth to what happens to people after they die. But I want to say to you this morning, based on the authority of God's word, you don't have any more realistic thing to think about than the fact that life one day will end. And when life ends on this earth, there is an eternity out there. There's a place called heaven where people that know Christ as Savior go and enjoy his presence, the forgiveness of sin and life eternal. There's also a place called hell and it's in the Bible and it's talked about repeatedly. And this morning Jesus gives us a warning about this. It's something that you have to face up and at least consider. And so this morning I want to walk through this passage. I want to share with you three truths that every person should consider or needs to consider when thinking about what the Bible says about hell. The first thing I want you to see is the realities of hell. The realities. And, and this text presents hell as a reality in really two ways. The first thing I want to point out to you is this. This is not just another parable that Jesus gave. Oftentimes you will maybe hear somebody say that. This is just a parable. Jesus spoke in parables. And you're right. He did. But one factor about this story is that Jesus goes into the name-calling business here, okay? In, in most parables, you see things like a certain man, a certain farmer, a certain person, whatever. But in this parable, there's actually 
someone named. This is a real account of a story. And besides all that, even if you wanted to say, okay, this is just a parable, here's another challenge that you have to deal with. You have to deal with the scores and scores and scores and volumes of other material in the Bible that actually confirms that this is a real place. Now before I get into this, I want to make a comment on this particular translation of the Bible. It says here uh, in verse uh, number 22, or excuse me, 23, and being in torments in Hades. Now, almost every modern translation of the Bible uses this word, which is a reference to a place where all people depart from this life. And it was a very general word, and the reason that some Bible translations use this word instead of the word hell... It's not because they don't believe in hell, because it's actually all throughout the pages in many other places. But there is a distinguishing thing about hell that everybody should be aware of theologically. First of all, every person that dies with Christ as Savior goes immediately to heaven. We know that absent in the body is present with the Lord. And you will so be with the Lord forever. Amen? But we also know that coming in the future... There is a new heaven and a new earth that gets created at the end of all things. So yes, you will be in heaven forever. Thank God for that. But there is a new heaven and a new earth that will be created ultimately. The same exact thing is also true of the place called hell. In fact, if you look in Revelation chapter 20, which I don't have time to get into today, the Bible says that there's a thing coming called the great white throne judgment. It is a moment where everybody without Christ who has ever died in history is going to stand before Christ and be ju rightly judged for their sins and then ultimately cast into a place called the lake of fire. So think of it like this. A person that dies without Christ will go to hell. Ultimately, just like there will be a new heaven and new earth, there will be a final place called the lake of fire. And so the translators in the New, new King James, which we use here, uh, make a distinction between the lake of fire and the place called Hades, and I think that's fair. But just for those of you that may wonder, why does it say that, that's what it says. Now here's the point that I really want to make today. The point that I want to make is simply this. There's no avoiding the reality that the Bible over and over and over and over and over again speak to the reality that there's a place called hell. I looked it up uh, yesterday while I was thinking about this because in the New Testament there are 27 books, okay, 27, Matthew through Revelation. And in the 27 New Testament books, 250 references to a place called hell. So think about this for a minute. That means that roughly 10 times in every New Testament book the Bible says something about hell and oftentimes Jesus himself speaks about it. So I started thinking, trying to get your mind around, what would that look like? Okay, so from here, from right where we're standing to the center of the Buckman Bridge in South Jacksonville is 25 miles. So if you were to go just to the other side in Orange Park, it's roughly 27 miles. So I want you to imagine right now that we, after church today, after the baby shower, after the baby shower today, we loaded up in buses, okay, and we started driving as a group, all of us, our children, all of us, we piled in buses and we took off from this church and we were going to drive over to Orange Park, but we were going to go east down 295 all the way across Mandarin and cross the Buckman Bridge to Orange Park, okay? And let's just say it was exactly 27 miles from this church to the opposite side of the Buckman Bridge, okay? I want you to imagine this. 
We pull out of the church parking lot. As we start heading east down Merrill, at Merrill Road, you start seeing big, giant red signs with big black letters that say, Warning, the Buckman Bridge is out just east of Orange Park. Okay? And you see that, and you think to yourself, wow, that's interesting. But between here and 295, there are 10 signs like that. One right after another, every one-tenth of a mile. Then you turn south on 295, and every mile, there's 10 more of those signs. The same sign, same colors, same words. Folks, listen. By the time we got to about Beach Boulevard on 295, there's going to be some people like tapping each other on the shoulder, whispering a little bit, uh, getting your phones out and Googling what's going on right. Nobody is just going to sleep and act like those signs are not there. And certainly nobody is going to stay on that bus when those signs are clear and you verified the fact that it, the bridge is out ahead. Otherwise, if I don't get off this bus or this bus doesn't turn around, uh, somebody's going to be swimming in the St. John's River. Now that is a small picture of what the Bible does when it talks about hell. Every single book of the New Testament has at least 10 of those warning signs over and over and over. This is not, look, this is not a novel thing, people. I'm not talking about something that's th some, some, some weird like, like subculture belief of Christians. I'm talking about something that every Christian believes. Every person that believes the Bible, every person that's ever read the Bible would know that it's not just a make-believe, preacher-scare tactic type thing. I'm telling you that all throughout the Bible it is absolutely clear, crystal clear, abundantly clear, over and over and over again that there's a real place called hell. Now folks, I wish it weren't so. And I'll stand here today to tell you, I wish it weren't true, but, I, but I'm also here to tell you, if that is true, then I would highly recommend to anybody in this room that is listening to me preach this morning, if you do not know right now where you are going when you die, friend, would you please make that settled today at church? I mean, if you're here today and you're like, man, when I die, I don't know where I'm going, I don't know if it's heaven, I don't know if it's hell, I don't even know much about this at all, then friend, please let us help you. There is a God who loves you. Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, God the Son, came to this earth. He took your sin in his body on the cross. He died, shed his blood, paid the price, rose again from the dead the third day. And today, he offers free salvation to anyone who would believe upon him. It's real. It's real. And you say, well, I don't have time to think about that. I've got other things to think about. That's fine. But please at least leave this morning and know the Bible says this is all real. Number two. Not only do we see the realities of hell, we see regrets in hell. Notice, if you will, verse number 25. But Abraham said, now this, is a, this phrase is scary. Abraham said, watch this, son, remember. Just let that word soak in for a few minutes. Son, remember. Meaning... Obviously, when people go to an eternity separated from God in a place called hell, there is the ability to recall. There's the ability to think. There's the ability to remember what happened. And it's interesting, in this passage, two things are pointed out. Two things are pointed out to us about this rich man that I think are worth notating. Two things for him to remember and, frankly, regret. And I want to point them out to you this morning. Number one, this man had much 
time, in fact, an eternity of time, to remember that he wasted his life pursuing wealth. It says here in the text, son, remember that in your lifetime you had, you enjoyed good things. In fact, you go back to verse number 19 and listen again to the description. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Meaning he had all the nice clothing that you could want to have and also he enjoyed a life of luxury. He had had all the food, all 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 the substance that you could ever want. He had everything in this life that anybody would ever want. He lived in a gated community. He had a nice house. Beggars sat outside of his gate just getting crumbs from his table. He had all the clothing that he wanted. He had a nice place to live. He had had, uh, food at his table. He was well taken care of. The Bible goes over and above to to point out to us that this guy just wasn't existing. He was living it up. But listen very carefully, friend. It does not matter what you have. It matters who you have. You can spend your entire life building your best life now. Only to find out that life is not about the abundance of the things which you possess. And look, folks, has not the news tabloids kept us on a feeding frenzy of examples of people who have tried it, who have been there, who've who've reached the very pinnacle of success. They've climbed corporate ladders. They've climbed athletic ladders only to find out that their ladder was leaned up against the wrong building. Only to find out that Super Bowl rings and millions of dollars and, 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 and fancy boats and cars and bank accounts are not the things that satisfy people. And friend, I'm here to tell you, there are real people, probably in this room, no doubt, that spend their lives spinning their wheels trying to get more, trying to accumulate more, trying to get a better job, get a bigger house, get more stuff, have a lot of things. And folks, you already know it doesn't satisfy Why do we always want more? Why do we always need bigger? Why does it always have to be? The very fact of the matter is life is not about stuff. Life is about Jesus Christ. I'll never forget seeing Tom Brady. I think it was after like Super Bowl four. I don't know. He's won like 57. But Super Bowl four, he he was interviewed by ESPN. the, The greatest quarter, even though it pains me to say that, the greatest quarterback ever after winning three Super Bowls being spoken of as the greatest quarterback of all time is asked by the ESPN reporter, how does it feel? Tom Brady looked back at the ESPN reporter and said, I don't know how to describe this, but it just feels like something's missing. Friends, you could have more Super Bowl rings than you got fingers on your hands, and it's not going to do the job. You could be the richest person with the best job in Jacksonville, and it's not going to do the job. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So you can regret in hell the fact that I spent life building wealth, getting stuff, and, and only to find out that when I died, nothing went with me and it was all over. But secondly, He had an eternity to regret, watch this, that he wasted his life on religion. There's something very interesting said in verse 24, look at this. Then he cried and said, look at this phrase, Father Abraham. Now look folks, 
I, I'm not claiming to be a Bible scholar at all here. I'm just trying to point something out to you. When this man said, Father Abraham, what does that tell you about him? It tells you that he was Jewish. Read uh, John chapter 8, verse 44, when Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. And he says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Father Abraham was a common phrase thrown around by Jewish people. They looked to him as the forefather of their faith. So when the rich man says to, uh, uh, to Abraham, father Abraham, he's, he's showing his cards here. He's pointing out the fact that he was religious, kind of like people in Jacksonville that are Christians. I'll meet people. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. Yeah, what's that pastor's name? I don't remember. <laughs> Look, Christianity, folks, is not a I show up once every Christmas or Easter kind of thing. And yeah, I sort of know Jesus a little bit, kind of, sort of, maybe, yeah, I go to church, sort of, kind of. This guy was a nominal Jewish believer, and worse than that, being Jewish doesn't take you to heaven. By the way, being a Baptist doesn't take you to heaven. Being a Catholic doesn't take you to heaven. Being a Mormon doesn't take you to heaven. Being a Jehovah's Witness doesn't take you to heaven. There's only one way a person can get to heaven, and it is not through where your church membership is. Nobody goes to heaven because they go to church. I've said this many times. You do not go to heaven. You, you do not, you're not a Christian because you go to church any more than you are a car because you're standing in a garage. How sad would this be, though, folks? Could there be anything sadder than spending your entire life in religion, spending your entire life going to church, spending your entire life talking the lingo, carrying a Bible, knowing how to pass a, you know, a, a quiz on New Testament studies? How sad would it be to be religious and be lost? Nicodemus was like that. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He was a Pharisee. You know what Jesus said to him? You must be born again. Do you know it doesn't matter how religious you are, you need to be born again. You need to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It does not matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter if you and your grandma were charter members of a church. It doesn't matter if your great-grandpa's buried in a cemetery at a church. It doesn't matter if your auntie or your sister or your brother were a pastor of a church. None of that matters. Here's what matters. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? It's not about religion. It's about a personal relationship with Christ. Think about it. A rich, religious man spent eternity in hell. There's a lot to regret there. Regrets you don't want to have. Finally, let me point this out to you. Not only is there the realities of hell, and not only are there regrets in hell, but finally I see there are requests in hell. There are requests in hell. Interestingly enough, after he has this conversation with Abraham, and Abraham basically says to him in verse 26, here's the deal. There's a golf fix. And I just sink, let those words sink in. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. There was an old preacher by the name of J. Harold Smith that had a famous sermon called God's Three Deadlines, meaning there are three lines that you can cross, that if you cross them, there's no turning back. You want to know what one of them is? Death. Meaning, 
You want to know how long you've got time, theoretically time, to decide whether you're going to follow Jesus or not? I can at least give you one that's clear before you die. Friends, there's no fixing this when it's over. It's fixed when it's over. And I'm sorry, despite what anybody may have told you, there is no place like purgatory that people go to and get prayed out by other people. There's only one person that can get a person out of hell, and that's Jesus Christ. Not somebody who can pray. But think about this. He says, hey, look, you're stuck. So then the rich man comes back. This is interesting. He comes back and says, okay, 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 let me ask you a question. Now follow this. Could you at least go and tell my brothers? Because maybe they'll hear that this is all real. And maybe they'll trust Christ as Savior. And maybe they won't have to come here. You would think that that sounds like a church prayer meeting, but unfortunately, most churches, I think even including ours, is far more concerned about our own comforts than we are about people without Jesus on their way to hell. Think about this. Here's a question for you. Does anybody in hell know who you are? Friend, I don't want people there. I don't want people there. I don't want somebody there knowing my name. Now, I am not in control of their decisions, and neither are you, but I don't want people there that know who I am. What's the request? Please tell somebody about Christ. Please tell somebody about hell so that they don't have to come here either. Man, that's a pretty, could it get any simpler than this? Now, I want to challenge our church. I want to challenge you. I'm challenging myself. And this week, man, God's been putting this on my heart. I've tried to be more engaged and active in this this week than I have in a long time. Telling people about Jesus. Not ashamed of the gospel. Handing them a gospel tract. We even made those cards. You don't have to do it. It's done for you. It's a video that gives the gospel, and I've given those out like candy this week, and I'm going to keep doing it yesterday, just burdened so many people in our campus without Christ. Our mission is to tell people about Jesus. Friend, you've got to take that personal. And you know what's sad? Here's the sad reality. Here's the fact of the matter. The, the fact of the matter is there's, there's more of a burden in hell for people without Jesus than there is in the church. I remember, I remember Dave right here. I remember the first time Dave came to church with his wife, Kim, who had just been baptized a few weeks before. There was a baptism service that day, and Dave walked out. I'll never forget this. Dave, right here. He walked up to me and said, Hey, preacher, I enjoy your preaching, but I'm never getting in that baptistry. I said, okay. Good to meet you too, Dave. My goodness, wow. Kim kept coming and saying, man, you know. Dave's a good guy. He loves me. We have a great relationship, but he just doesn't know Christ, our Savior. And we kept praying. 
kept praying for Dave, kept talking to Dave. I remember the day Dave came to me and said, Pastor, I got a few questions. I thought, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. We sat down and talked those questions. I remember just, I think it was the next day. I said, Dave, you can come, look, I know you're not, maybe you don't understand all, you're not ready yet, but anytime you are, you just call me. We'll, 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 we'll go over this again. And the next day, he called me and said, Pastor, I just want you to know, I, I accepted Jesus as my Savior today. I did it today. He got baptized the next Sunday. I've oftentimes thought about Kim. Kim's prayer, Kim's concern, Kim's love, Kim's witness. And now, a couple years later, he sits with her every Sunday when she's not in the nursery. Having trusted Christ, not just doing a favor for a wife that he loves, but because he's all in now. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? I'm talking about people taking personal ownership, personal responsibility, having a burden, having a care, having a prayer, having some, feeling something, feeling something. Yes, I said feeling. You should feel something, man. There should be a feeling. There should be something that happens when I talk about this. It's not, it's not some theological thing. It's easy to sit here and be theological about it. Man, I can, I can dance with you theologically. We can, we can dice it up and talk about everything and what it means. I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about feeling something about it. Actually feeling it. Yes, it's real. Yes, people go there. And yes, it should do something to me. It should do something. By God's grace, man, by God's grace, let it do in you what it should do in you. I wish it weren't so, but it's so. And since it is so, if you're here and you don't know where you're going to spend eternity when you die, I pray, please let us help you. I got people, I got men and women here ready. They can take a Bible in five minutes and show you exactly what the Bible says about how you can know for sure you're, you're, you're going to heaven when you die. If you know that already, friend, let it feel. And if you're, look, I'm sorry to keep using the word feeling, but it bothers me when it doesn't bother me. So if you're either unbothered, unmoved, untouched, then, you know, sometimes you just got to come. Sometimes you just got to get on your knees before God and say, God, I need, I need a heart warm. I need a heart warm. I need a burden. I need to do something about this. I want to be involved with what God's doing. Let's pray together as we go. Thank you for listening to a tough passage of scripture today, but important and necessary truth. Truth. And I want to ask a couple of questions, if I could. Number one. Do you know for certain if you died that you would go to heaven when you die? How many of you could say that with me? Would you raise your hand up and say, man, I know that. Praise God, I know that. That is a blessing. Thank you. That is a blessing. That's great to know. And I, I'm glad I know. I'm glad my hand could go up too. Praise the Lord. Friend, maybe you're here and you couldn't. You just, man, you don't know. I appreciate your honesty. Thank you for letting us know that. Thank you for being real. You might be an adult. You might be a child. 
man or woman, boy or girl, red, yellow, black, white, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who you are. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you do not know if you died that you would be going to heaven, could I pray for you? We got some people in the back that can help you, but, but first I'd just like to pray for you. Is there somebody here that say, Preacher, I do not know if I die that I'm going to heaven, but I, but I want to know. I want to know. Would you pray for me, Pastor? If that's you, would you slip your hand up? Could I pray for you? Just slip your hand right up. Then just right back down. I'll pray for you. I won't embarrass you, but I'll pray for you. Just slip your hand right up. Lower it right back down. I promise you I'll pray for you. Preacher, pray for me. Pray for me. I don't know, but I want to know. I don't know, but I want to know. How many of you say, Preacher, God touched my heart in the message. I, I want to have that burden. I want to have that burden. I want to, I want to be a part telling folks about Christ. How many of you agree with me with that? Would you slip your hand up and say, Preacher, that's me. God's to me. Church, listen, I want to encourage you. Let's put some action on that. I don't often do this, but I want to encourage you. You could come up to this altar and you could get on your knees and say, God, put a burden on my heart. A burden that cannot be stopped. God, by this time next week, I want to have told somebody about Jesus. Given them a gospel track. Shared Jesus. Invited them to church. Cared enough. So I'm going to invite you to stand. Invite the worship team to come. As we worship the Lord and sing. As they come to do that, I want to encourage you to come. Church, let's come. Let's come and pray. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you, you come too, and I'll, I'll be glad to talk to you. Let's come and find a spot on our knees before God. Come on. I'm not talking about the person sitting next to you. I'm talking to you, man.